0: Everyone, and welcome once again to our continuing Bible study in the book of Romans. Today, we make it to the last verses of chapter 3, verses 27 to 31. And the title of our lesson is The Principle of of Faith. Now, tonight, we enter into another section, if you will, of of the letter. And in this next section that runs from chapter 3, verse 27 up through the 25th verse of chapter 4, Paul is going to concentrate on one theme and that is faith. Now, last week in verses 21 to 26, Paul has explained to us what God has done in order to save us. God sent his son Jesus Christ to suffer and die on a cross to pay our sin debt and die in our place. Through the death of cross uh, through the death of Christ on the cross God's wrath is propitiated. In other words, it is satisfied by the atoning sacrifice of Christ. The debt of sin is paid, and God's righteousness is demonstrated and vindicated. Now, that was a great passage of Scripture, but I want you to really notice something tonight. After explaining all of that without hesitation and immediately, Paul raises an issue in verse 27. He says this, Where is boasting then? Now, he immediately raises the issue of human pride and human boasting. Now, why in the world would he do that? Well, there's really only one reason. You see, Paul is well aware of human nature, and he knows that each one of us are so quick to focus on ourselves and focus on our own righteousness. So it is extremely important. It must be extremely important to Paul that we see that God has accomplished our salvation in such a way that excludes any boasting on our part. In other words, what Paul wants us to see is that he did it all and we did absolutely nothing. Now, that begs the question, right? God has come and done this great work through Jesus Christ. And The fact is, he could have done that work and just said, you know what, I apply this to all human race, all humankind. Everybody's going to be forgiven. But we know from the Bible that's not true. The Bible is clear that there are sheep and there are goats. There's wheat and there's tares. There's believers and unbelievers, righteous and unrighteous. There's heaven and there's hell. Not everyone will be saved. So for the group of people that will be saved, how do they benefit from this great salvation? How does God connect you with this salvation? Because here's the thing if He does it in a way where you do something you can boast in, where you play a part that you can boast about, then it's no longer grace. If it involves something that we do, then it, there would obviously be something we can brag about. So let's see what Paul says about that in verse 27. He says, Where is boasting then? And then he answers that question, it is excluded. Now listen, this is absolutely crucial. What Paul is saying is all boasting must be excluded by the way that God connects us to salvation. So, let's ask the question, how is it excluded? What did God do? What did God design so as to exclude uh, boasting? Well, let's see what Paul says in 27 and 28. He says, where is boasting then? It's excluded. By what law? Of works? No, by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from deeds of the law. You see, this law or this principle of faith that Paul is talking about, by its very nature, excludes the tendency to boast. Now, why? Well, for one reason, faith is dependent on someone else. You see, works looks to human ability. Faith looks to divine ability. Works relies on human righteousness. Faith relies on divine righteousness. Works relies on what we are. Faith relies on who God is. And I want you to notice something else. And, and Paul is very clear about this. And I want to make sure I point this out. In, in order to exclude boasting, faith or justification just can't be by faith. It also has to be, as Paul says, apart from works. In other words, these two things, faith and works, are polar opposites. They are antithetical to one another. They are diametrically opposed to one another, if you will. They cannot coexist as a means of salvation. So you and I need to be absolutely 100% sure that we are not relying on works in any shape uh, form or, or, or any way at all, not even in the least, we have to be completely relying on the grace of God. So let's do a little test this morning or this evening. What are these works of the law that Paul is referring to? Well, I want you to notice the example that he uses. Let's read verses 29 and 30. It says, it, "...or is he the God of the Jews only?" Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there's one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Now, works of the law, according to Paul, are deeds such as circumcision, that's the example that he uses, which a person does to obtain justification. In other words, a work of law is anything you do you do to obtain a right standing with God. Now, let me say this tonight. If you are trying to do anything, anything other than trusting in God's grace in order to get right with God, you need to stop. Because what you're doing is a work of the law. And according to Paul, if you're doing that, you're you're still in the grips of pride and you're attempting to boast in your own righteousness. You see, if you go to church or if you read your Bible, or if you're baptized, or if you give money to the church, or give money to charity, or you do good deeds, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But if you do them as a way of obtaining right standing with God, then you're not relying on grace. And see, Romans 4 :4 says this, "To, To the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. In Matthew 7 Jesus tells this parable. He says, many, are this story, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many wonders in your name? Do you see what they're saying? God, do you see what we've done? Do you see our works? Do you see our deeds? You you should make an exception for us. See, they're relying on what they've done. And of course, we all know what Jesus said. He said, "I I never knew you. We never had a relationship. Their, their righteousness was based completely on their works, and it failed them in the end. The famous parable in Luke 18 that Jesus tells um, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. He said this, Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, Or even like that tax collector standing over there. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. You see, when the Pharisee or this this guy tries to describe his righteousness, it's all about what he does. It's all about his works. And Jesus said this, But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So tonight I want you to ask yourself these questions. If you consider yourself saved, if you're, if you're a child of God, ask yourself these questions. Were you saved because you were generous, kind-hearted, truthful? In a word, because you were good? See, Romans 3.12 says there's none who does good. No, not one. Maybe it was because you had an earnestness and a zeal for God. Maybe, maybe it was because you sought after God with all your heart and all that was in you more than other people did. Is that why you got saved? Well, see, Romans 3.11 says there's none who seeks after God. Maybe you think it was because of your talents. That God looked down and said, Wow, that guy can really teach, or she's a great singer, or she's a great encourager, and I really need them in the kingdom. You see, Romans 3 12 says they have together become useless or unprofitable, like, like stale, moldy bread. Or maybe, maybe it was because you're just smarter than other people, wiser, more spiritually adept. Maybe you understood the gospel because you were just that kind of person right it just it just fit right in with you but see Romans three eleven says no there's none who understands you see salvation is a gift it's a gift and if you are the beneficiary of a gift you cannot boast Paul says in first Corinthians 4 7 what do you have that you didn't receive and if you received it why do you boast as if it were not a gift In this study of Romans, we are going to encounter some of the great doctrines of the faith. And and tonight, we come up against the first one, which is known as sola fide, which is Latin for only faith or by faith alone. The doctrine of sola fide says this, God's pardon for guilty sinners is a gift that is granted to and received through faith alone, excluding any and all works. You see, all humanity is fallen and sinful under the wrath of God, incapable of saving itself. But God, based on the life, death, and resurrection of his Son, grants sinners a judicial pardon. He sees them as perfectly righteous. And that's a gift, and it's received solely through faith. Now, here's the thing about faith, and we mentioned this last week faith is passive, it's a channel, not a means of salvation. Faith is, is merely receiving the gift that God has already designated for, for you. You remember the example we used last week about the, the shower handle? You know, you've been slipping in the shower and you decide to buy a shower handle. Well, how dumb would it be to hold that handle you know against your body and then step into the shower? See, the handle in itself does nothing if it's not attached to something solid. That's how faith is. I ran across a a great uh, illustration this week that I had used several years ago. William Shedd says this, faith justifies in the same way that eating nourishes. It's not the act of chewing and swallowing, but the food that sustains life. It's not the act of believing, but Christ's death, which delivers us from the condemnation of the law. I mean, think about that. I could sit here right now, And I could chew and swallow. I could have a a perfectly functioning jaw muscles and teeth and tongue. And I could chew and swallow and chew and swallow and chew and swallow all day long. And I could do that after day after day and I would eventually starve to death. You see, because it's not the act of chewing and swallowing that gives me life. It's the meat, the food that I put into my mouth. Let me tell you, you can believe in, in, in Allah. You can believe in the Hindu gods. You can believe in science. You can put your faith in human love. and, And you can do all those things, but you're just chewing on air because you don't have the bread of life. Jesus is the bread of life. He, salvation comes through him. Faith is just a means of partaking of the gift that he's already designated for us. Now, Paul wants to deal with one final point when it comes to boasting. Have you ever noticed that Uh, Man has tended to maintain belief in national gods or local gods as the ages have gone by. For example, if I just threw out the name Baal, you might say, well, that's a Canaanite god. If I threw out the name Athena, you'd say, well, that's a Greek god. Or Mars is a Roman god. Or Jehovah is a Hebrew god. But Paul wants the Jews to recognize that that none of that makes any sense. Look at verses 29 to 30. Is he the god of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who justifies. See, Paul has excluded all boasting and bragging. First of all, he excluded any works that we might do. And now he's excluded our ethnicity or our nationality or our race or our gender or anything like that is excluded as well. Now, why is this important to Paul and why should it be important to us Isaiah 42, 8 says this, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. God will not share His glory when it comes to our salvation. And we need to remember that. We need to give Him all the glory. Now let me tell you, this is some awesome stuff. It really is. But it does leave us with some nagging questions. What about the law? What about the Bible? What about Scripture? If we're made righteous by faith alone, then what part does scripture play? Do we follow it or not? See, those are really good questions because it sounds like what Paul is teaching nullifies and abolishes the law. It sounds like what Paul is saying is that you 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 don't need the law to be saved. And by the way, it's exactly what he's saying. You don't need the law. You can't rely on the law. You just put your faith in Jesus Christ. But what does that mean for scripture? What does that mean for the law? Because here's the issue. Does the doctrine of sola fide void the law and produce disobedient lawless Christians? Or does it produce obedient law-following Christians? Well, Paul answers that question in verse 31. He said this, do we then make void the law through faith? And he says, are you crazy? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Now that, that is a remarkable statement he just made. He says not only do we nullify the law, not nullify the law when we teach justification by faith, we actually establish the law. Or to put it another way, justification by faith doesn't knock the law down. It actually, for the first time, stands the law up. Now what does he mean by that? Well, let me tell you, this whole issue is going to be dealt with in much greater detail in chapter 6 and 7 and 8. But just to deflect the criticism here, Paul makes this statement. And since he brought it up, I'm going to cover it very briefly today. So what does Paul mean when he says that faith establishes the law? Well, let's go back to verses 19 and 20. Paul says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. Why, Paul? He says, Because by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, if you remember what we said a few weeks ago, Paul is not talking about just having a head knowledge of what's right and what's wrong. By the way, if that were the case, then knowing the law would be a help to justification, not a hindrance to it. But back then, a few weeks ago, when we brought this subject up, we went ahead into Romans chapter 7 so that we would understand what Paul says. Paul said this in in chapter 7, I would not have known sin except through the law. I would not have known what it means to covet, unless the law had said you shall not covet. And then he explains what he means. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. See, what Paul says is when the law says you shall not do this, or you shall not do this, something inside of us rises up and says, oh yeah, just watch me. Nobody tells me what to do. That's what he talks about, that by sin comes through the knowledge of the law. You see, when the law meets an unregenerate heart, a heart without the Holy Spirit, the effect is that it reveals what's really in our heart, and what is in our heart is rebellion. But you see, as Christians, we no longer have an unregenerate heart. We have this Holy Spirit within us. Ezekiel 36, 27, uh, 27, God said this, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. God says, I'll take out your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh and I'm going to put my Holy Spirit within you and he's going to empower you to keep my word, to obey my word. You see, what the law could never do God did for us. In Romans 8, Paul says that exact thing. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who don't walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Now what does that mean? What is the righteous requirement of the law? Romans 13, Paul says this, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, all are summed up in this saying, love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the fulfillment of the law. You see, the whole law, all of these rules and stuff, they were always there. But it wasn't that God wanted us to go through like a checklist. Yeah, I did that, I did that, I did that. No, he wanted us to love one another. Have you ever I was thinking about this this morning. Have you ever been to a, a bowling alley with kids and and you asked them to put up bumpers? You know, to keep the to keep the uh balls out of the out of the gutters. That's kind of what the law did. Because we were so bad at behaving, it, it put up the law to kind of keep us out of the gutters, to kind of keep us on track. What God has always wanted to do is take the bumpers away and let us follow the law because that's who we are. Not just because he tells us to do it, because that's who we are on the inside. You see, love is the righteous requirement of the law. And finally, we're able to fulfill that because we have the Holy Spirit within us producing the fruits. And one of the fruits, of course, is love. So love fulfills law therefore Paul can say do we nullify the law through faith absolutely not on the contrary for the very first time we establish the law let's pray father as always Lord we thank you for this great chapter three and and we're excited to move into chapter four uh, next week but before we do Lord let me just say thank you for what's taught in this chapter thank you for your son Jesus thank you for what you did Um, and what he did through his obedience to you, Father. Um, Thank you for, for the great work of salvation. Thank you that you bestowed that gift on me and so many others under the sound of my voice. God, help us to always see ourselves as beneficiaries of a gift, not earning anything, not meriting anything, but absolutely undeserving of your wonderful grace because, God, that changes everything in our lives so father thank you we love you we glorify you to all the all the glory goes to you and we honor your name and we ask all that in your son amen